Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb, still on our slightly scuffed setups, so I hope that's okay with y'all. But uh, I did some troubleshooting. I think I may have made things a little bit better. I don't know if it's good, but we'll see. Yeah, to balance that out, I did some troubleshooting and I've made things much worse. Excellent. So yeah, just want to keep us steady at the same level. You don't want to get people's expectations too high, so I'm, I'm making sure we're the same level of scuffed despite your breakthrough. That's legit. I appreciate that, man. Making making me look not good, but maybe not as bad. That's what I'm here for, just to make you look not quite as bad. Yeah, I'll take that. Uh, random question. Did you ever watch Players? Mm, is that the show with The Rock? No, this is the, the League ballers. of Legends Very mockumentary. Close. Uh, no, I didn't watch that. I, I would like to at some point. That is uh, interesting to me for sure. But no, I have not watched that. It is it is really good. It has no business being this good. And, you know, I'm, I'm not at home. I met my friends. I suggested that they watch it for, you know, similarly to you and me. I suggested it to them for like the 10th time. And since I was there, they finally did watch it. And we just knocked it out over the course of two days, you know, day and a half, basically. Uh, just 10 X just jamming them. Yeah, no big deal. It is awesome. Before the, <laughs> the show, you said some, what you call this like renegades or whatever. Cause we're talking yeah. about unofficial previews or whatever. The, the team and the thing is called fugitive, which is what made me think of it again. And I was like, well, this is a good time to just like remind you. And then also drop uh, a little plug for it because the show is good. That is what I've heard from basically everyone. And it is very much on my to watch list. It actually got put on the like League of Legends YouTube channel. So I don't even oh. have the excuse of like it being on Paramount Plus anymore. Yeah. I don't know if it's still there, but it, it was there at some point. I mean, if they put it on their official channel, I imagine it's going to stay there. But yeah, I mean, go there, check it out. You don't necessarily have to be super invested in League to enjoy it. I think that if you're listening to this podcast, you have at least somewhat lived uh you know competitive gaming experience or whatever and you can appreciate a lot of the stuff that's going on mockumentary is not a thing that i like uh i i should basically like not like this show and i love it so i I don't know i think more people should see it i think it's really good that's a good sell and also i for a period of time was very invested in league of legends i that's the other thing is i know it's in your wheelhouse man i watched literally literally every match of Korean League of Legends in a particular season. Uh, maybe for two years, actually, I saw every single match that was played just because it was a really good thing to have on at work. Very easy for me to to watch and do other stuff at the same time because I could like pause for the really hype moments. And then uh, a lot of the Korean pace of play was a little bit slower at the time. So it was a, a okay. lot of downtime. So yeah, it was uh, something I was very invested in. Recently, Got to call Flesh and Blood Worlds with uh, Doa, one of the the big league casters from back in the day. Him and Monte Cristo called the Korean side of things as well as Worlds and however awesome. many tremendous league tournaments for a very long period of time. And Yeah, it's got to be weird too, right? Because at no point were you like, oh, I'm going to work with this guy sometime in the future, right? No, no, it was not on my radar. It was just someone I, I watched a bunch and really enjoyed and, and actually learned a lot about casting from. Uh, you know, that was kind of like the moment from watching them where I'm like, man, maybe I should look into doing this, this broadcasting thing. I kind of like it. It seems like fun. Uh, so that was a really cool experience. I, I don't remember how I got in this tangent, but regardless, I, I am very invested or was very invested in league of legends for a period of time. And I actually think that there is a particular league of legends series 
which I would legitimately hold as the greatest sporting event I've ever seen live. And that's okay. that's all sports. I, it was just like such an incredible, uh, incredible series. I'm talking about SKT versus the Rocks Tigers in Man, I don't even know. I, I'm guessing like 2016, 2017. And anyone who like followed any amount of League of Legends knows the series I'm talking about. It was just like incredibly hype. And I, I think it's the best sporting moment I've ever seen. Okay, I don't because I'm not super invested. I have I have seen some stuff live, mm-hmm. but I have literally never played a game. Mm, that's for the best. Uh, it is a very variable experience. I'll say that. Yeah, it, like you can enjoy it, but there's also like a lot of bad stuff yep. that goes along with it. So yep. uh, I'm I'm not upset that I haven't. the The culture definitely seems like very interesting to me, you know. And like the stories and stuff are are things that I will happily listen to people talk about, uh, like people who are invested, because there are just a lot of good narratives and the stuff yeah. is really interesting. And like you watch the games live, and it, it can be hype even if you don't know exactly what's going on. Right? No, but, like, absolutely. So it is unfortunately, it is though, I'm interested. Unfortunately, Riot, tell me if you've heard this one before, Gerald. Riot treats their broadcasters like shit. So, uh, big downside I, towards the I actually didn't know that, but I'm yeah. not surprised. And yeah, that's there's all. a bit of controversy going on now. A lot of people who were with them for a very, very long time let go in general. Salaries kept very low. Like, there were some allegations of salary fixing on the part of Riot. Basically giving like maximums to contractors who hired various talent. So not a good look. Yeah, I don't like it. It's not great. And like, like the lead casters are so good too. Just they are. No, they're they're incredible. They have they have top notch talent literally all over the place. And uh, you know, to me, they had as much a hand in building that league as as so many people. There's so many iconic voices associated right. with the game. And I don't know. It's a shame to see them treated that way. Yeah, like especially as the game gets like bigger and bigger, you start making more and more money. People are like, ah, oh, trickle down economics, right? It's like everyone's gonna get paid, right? And you just see like this this class of folks who are important in the growth and development of you know your game, your brands, the whole like zeitgeist of it or whatever. And they're part of a lot of those iconic moments, right? Because it's, mm-hmm. it's them on the mic. It is the, They created the a lot of those iconic moments, quite frankly. Like they are yeah. responsible for making them as hype as they were. Right. Because me as a person who doesn't play going to these events, I kind of rely on them to tell me a little bit about what's going on. Right. And they do a good job of that. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, Just incredible talent. So you're making the buy-in much lower for people to be able to enjoy those actually exciting moments and like explain what's going on and like be very quick and concise about it and like make the more people feel like they understand what's going on and that they're part of this moment and everything. Like that's great. Yeah, there was always this argument that like the LCS was a money loser and that's why you know salary stayed stagnant. But like we all know that's bullshit. Like, yes, the LCS as an entity may have lost money, but the entity of league of legends made an absolutely ridiculous amount of money. And it's all just a line item, right? Like if it's, it's very similar to the pro tour loses money and it's like, yeah, but it's under the marketing budget. Like yep. literally marketing doesn't recoup anything Can't. Like not, not can't. on paper. Like it does, right? Like, you know that you're paying money to promote your product to sell something else, but like marketing itself does not, make revenue for itself so obviously 
A lot of similarities, Gerald. And, uh, you know, it, the, the cultures overlap all over the place. I know in, in the League of Legends world, there's just tons and tons of Magic players, DCG players all over the place. Yeah. It, it Very much this cut from the same cloth. Anyway, that's it. Show's cool. People should watch it. Uh, I think they would enjoy it. I wouldn't recommend it otherwise. And I hope that people understand that because that's that's kind of a tilting thing for me is like, I don't know, like I recommend something and then people think that I'm not making a direct recommendation for them. They think it's just like something I like, but it's like, no, if I'm telling you, it's because I specifically think you will like it. Otherwise, I wouldn't say anything. So. Making a good case. It's it's going to happen. This this is one that I'm confident I will watch at some point. How about that? I know you'll watch it at some point, but it's like, dude. You want it now. This, you want it right this, this second. Check so many boxes for you. I just don't <laughs> understand why you've waited so long. You know because I mean? I'm like, I am a perfectionist in my watching environment. I want to be exactly as awake as I want to be. I don't want to be watching it as I like fall asleep. I understand that. Uh, I want to be watching it when I... I won't get dragged away and like, or like I'll get three episodes in and be like, damn, I really want to watch this. And then I can't watch it for a week. Cause I'm busy. Like, I know that's dumb, but that's the way I treat television. And that's what causes like this paralysis where I don't watch anything. Yeah. I, I understand that. But at the same time over, you know, the last six months or whatever, you've had plenty of those opportunities. So yep. Yep. I, yeah, yeah I get, I get why no you denial here. it off. But you also have to like follow through and like, oh, this is actually a good time to do it. Otherwise, I'm just gonna have to keep bugging you and like wasting our podcast time talking about it. So. That's true. Or you just show up at my house one day and you're like, hey, we're watching the show right now, and we'll just sit Maybe. down. Maybe, and, and watch then it. you're just like, oh, well, I actually have to catch a flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm out of here. Sorry. Well, Sorry, that was a good that ten hour drive. We'll turn around and go home. So cool. Maybe yeah. I guess I could drop you off at the airport on my way home. So oh, that's true. All be lost. Yeah, two birds, one stone. For you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. We're still talking about previews. We got this initial dump of previews that is not entirely official. And if you missed last week's cast, okay, I'll kind of restate our position here. When the cast started, I was all about like, we get shown a magic card. It is proven to be real. I want to talk about it because I'm I'm like spiky, spiky, spike, right? Mm-hmm. As time went on, I continually got the feedback that there were a lot of people who did not think the same as me and I could make a show that is just for me, which is kind of silly, or I could like tailor my show to the audience that I already have. And I chose to do that. So, uh, I understood where they were coming from. I still wanted to talk about the cards, how they got spoiled like regardless of how they got spoiled because talking about new magic cards as soon as possible is always going to be fun and exciting for me which is you know why i'm stoked to be here now but this this week is weird because a bunch of stuff got spoiled and it even showed up on scryfall which i thought previously scryfall would only show like the officially previewed stuff but maybe it is only the stuff that they know is is true you know they're not going to post like a made-up card or you know something if they're on the fence as to whether or not this is a made-up card or not so like we know that these cards are real they have not been previewed through official channels and i think that a lot of people want to wait for the official channels but like at this point these cards have been out for a long time and they're on scryfall which is a big way for how people look at previews and you know get a sense of like what magic cards are coming down the pipeline and everything so We've just been talking about them. And last week we did the official ones and then gave you all a break. But like this one is just all 
unofficially previewed cards. So that's all the show is going to be. So if you don't want to hear that. Wait, uh, hold on, hold on. We, we have one officially previewed card we I, can talk okay, about. Okay, fine. One. Let's talk about this one card. We'll give people a nice 10-minute show. They can check in with us, and then they'll come back in the future, maybe. They already, they already clicked back. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't yeah. fast enough. All right. Uh, officially previewed card. This one is brand new. I didn't want to like jump around colors. Real, real quick, though. Uh, why do all the officially previewed cards look like shit on Scryfall? Like, they're all like from, I, I don't even know, MS Paint looking type setups. I'm assuming this is like the arena version or something, but yeah. what happened to just like using the real cards to, to show off the cards? Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Okay. Because magic cards look like magic cards. This clearly looks like an arena rendition of it which is fine a digital object perhaps yeah but as to why they would choose to show this off versus the real card i don't know i really don't know strange so we either get cards that look like shit or the fingernail cards those are the two options it doesn't look like shit but it doesn't look like a real magic there's something weird about like there's something that is just very jarring and like the font isn't right and i I think they kind of look like shit is it actually just the font like they don't have Bellerin on Arena or whatever, or it's you know that the, would the, be wild. The font and size or something. I agree that something is weird. Something is off. That would be that would be a wild thing because I have like Bellerin on my computer, right? Like it's very uh, easy to add and didn't like download. Okay, I didn't know if that was a thing where they're just like, "This is ours. You literally cannot use it." Maybe it is, but you can also find it if you want it. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, anyway, uh, one officially previewed card and then we get some more officially previewed cards on the 17th tuesday of next week so then which might be about when this episode is coming out by the way we we have some like strangeness in our recording schedules so uh maybe maybe you're already seeing some fresh cards maybe you're seeing some of the cards that we're talking about today officially uh we'll see we'll see how that goes it's it's gonna be weird but you know stick around for this one card and then get the hell out of here if you don't want to hear the unofficial stuff good plan anyway Braska. A trail sting four B, uh, P. I was doing like H Phyrexian for this, but this is just Phyrexian black. Uh, loyalty six, legendary planeswalker Vraska completed. Uh, zero, you draw a card, lose one life, proliferate. Minus two, target creature becomes a treasure artifact with tap sack this artifact, add one man of any color, and loses all other card types and abilities. Minus nine, if target player has fewer than nine poison counters, they get a number of poison counters equal to the difference. This is an interesting one because I don't think I care all that much about the minus nine. Like it's it's fine. Certainly in some decks it, it will matter. Um, and well, it is it is a win condition too. Like you just if you just protect Veraska, you just get to win in that fashion. So yeah, uh, because nine into zero is yeah. a KO, right? Yeah. And maybe there's enough stuff with toxic where you just have like an incidental source of poison lying around where like getting in that last one is not that difficult even if you have to basically use all the loyalty on this frasca to ult it so yeah i don't know i i think that there are ways like if you're talking about playing this in constructed there are probably going to be a reasonable amount of ways where you can get in that last point sure at that point the ultimate is is very threatening right it's literally win the game i I think that's fine but i also think it is somewhat irrelevant because i think this card is just good period. Like it doesn't matter about the minus nine. And if you are leveraging this card in a fashion where you're like getting the most out of it, you probably will be able to use this as a standalone win condition. And like this really does that cool thing 
where I mean, I think it's cool. I think a lot of people hate it, but like the Teferi Hero of Dominaria thing, where you have your control piece, you have your removal spell, you have your card advantage engine, and then oops, I also win the game with this as well. And we've seen that be really messed up. And not just once, several times. You know how it is when you can just use your thing that is supposed to take control of the game to actually win the game on top of it. It gives you a lot of flexibility in deck building. And it just makes these cards so much more powerful than they would be on their face when they also just have some mode of winning the game tied into them. So the fact that these abilities on their face without the threat of the ultimate have me very interested in Vraska, I think bodes very well for the playability of this card. Even if you are going ahead and completing this, the the sizing on this is so, so good. Like it just comes down at five loyalty right away as a five cost walker. That's nice. Five loyalty and you get an immediate card and proliferation on other things, which, you know, that's, that's nothing to sneeze at. There's a lot of scenarios, you know, you lead Planeswalker into this or, you know, so many different things can go ahead and, and like, like Saga's move forward. Is that, am I thinking correctly about the interaction with Saga and proliferate? As far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's a really powerful effect in this format. You can get to your flipped Saga much faster. There's initially, I was like, yes, but the fact that you're questioning it has me questioning it, you know, I'm pretty sure it's a Saga. I, I tell you yes. what, you talk about Vraska. I'm going to just Google a saga, saga real quick and I'll be able to answer this very quickly. I mean, I know that it is like counters and uh, whatever. You you figured out. Yeah, this formula for Planeswalkers was basically, for, for a long time, it was like the only formula that ended up being successful. It works with point, Sagas. Huh? It works with Sagas. Go ahead. Okay, cool. So this formula was basically the only formula that was successful for Planeswalkers to the point where a new Planeswalker would come out. It didn't have card advantage thing, kill a creature, win the game ultimate. People were like, it's bad. Because so far, those have been the only Planeswalkers that are good. This is kind of like back to basics, bread and butter, Planeswalkery type of stuff with modality and pretty good numbers on it, honestly. Like, I think a lot of these Planeswalkers were kind of sitting at like the minus three range for the, the kill a creature sort of effect, right? And this, even if you do complete it, you get, uh, you know, you can use Vraska to get two uses out of this thing. But certainly if you go, you know, minus zero, which is effectively a plus because you're proliferating, and then minus two again, you still have Vraska sitting around like that is all great, right? So uh, this seems pretty solid to me, but a lot of it is contextual as far as, what does the format look like? What kind of things are you looking for in your five and six mana cards and threats? Like, do these planeswalkers actually matter? Because yes, that formula is good, but like now a lot of the cards are so good that planeswalkers have been released with that formula at reasonable rates and have still failed, right? So I would not say that this is slam dunk hit, like gonna see play or whatever, but it looks really good to me. Also looks really good to me. What, what do you think about the downside on the treasure? Like turning your opponent's creature into yeah. a treasure. I mean, like pretty late in the game. Shouldn't be a huge, huge impediment. But is it enough to, you know, maybe temper the power of this card just a little bit and keep it from being like a real focal point of the format? It's weird because 
there are games where it is just completely irrelevant. Yeah. And then there are games where it wins them the game, you know? So like it's going to be sort of high variance, but ideally you would be able to tell and like maneuver in that scenario. It's just like my opponent's stuck on five or six and they have like Titan of industry in their hand or whatever. And I'm getting attacked by this thing. Do I actually need to kill it now? Uh, how big of a risk is that, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like you, you get these cool decisions versus just like, oh, I play my Vraska, I kill your best thing, you know? Uh, so I, I like the fact that it has that and also means that, you know, maybe this minus gets to be a little bit more aggressively costed, which is also good. But I think for the most part, you're going to be able to navigate it in such a way where the treasure won't have a massive, meaningful impact. And then there are going to be some of the games where it feels bad and you don't really have another option because you need a way to interact. The minus two is the thing that does it. And it means that you don't die this turn. And hopefully the treasure doesn't come back to bite you. But it, it, it certainly can. But I, I don't think that a lot of standard decks, at least now, are built with the the treasure in mind. Like their curve is, you know, stopping at four, stopping at five. And right. we did see some uh, ramp decks pop up where it was kind of like blue, red, power stones, uh, prototype stuff. And I mean... Giving them a treasure is dangerous. Scary, right? for they, sure. They have actual nine mana cards in their deck, so maybe you don't want to do that, right? But against everyone else, I think it's mostly fine. Yeah, I, so I talked about this as a win condition and like in the context of defend this, minus nine it, then get your one more zero activation and win the game. I don't think we should sleep on this as like uh, you give someone an incidental poison counter one time throughout the game from a card that you were going to play anyway. And you don't really, you're not a poison deck. You just have something that has toxic because toxic, as we know, doesn't lock you into poison. It is flexible like that. Is it interesting? So the scenarios where you just get that one poison counter and then you just zero this forever, basically, and (laughs) make them challenge this zero because the minus nine can be threatening enough and you slowly, over time, mass up those poison counters. Again, just like a style of play I really like, a type of Planeswalker that, as you mentioned, was the blueprint for successful Planeswalkers for a very long time. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't I didn't really think about that, but it, I can definitely see games playing out that way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, say, that, say there's like a two, three, four mana creature that is simply good on rate and happens to have toxic sort of as a rider. Like you're going to put it in your deck regardless, but you don't necessarily plan on killing them with poison. And then you get to ride this thing for a little bit. It certainly does add to Vraska's portfolio, I guess, in a, in a little bit of a way, right? Where like just the zeroing and drawing cards is like also making them sweat a little bit. So yeah. Yeah. I, also I just totally like any other, I mean, we have no idea I've, Somewhat, we have an idea what's in the set, but some other way to give a poison counter, like a removal spell that gives a creature's controller a poison counter, you know, some incidental way where you're like, well, I was playing this card anyway, and then you just get to unlock this win condition for Vraska. Uh, could be very interesting. Yeah, or I just wanted to proliferate my Planeswalkers, but now if I get to give you a poison counter early, maybe there are a lot of good ways to proliferate, right? Mm-hmm. And then getting them up to 10 is actually a viable win condition, something you play towards. So, yeah, it, it's possible that you're maybe focusing on that in more games on average than even going for the ultimate kill. You know, maybe it is even more realistic depending on what cards end up in the set. And again, depending on what the format looks like and whether or not Vraska at five or six mana is useful and has a place. I always wanted the proliferate control decks to be a very real thing. I will say I built 
more like vents or contagion engine decks <laughs> yeah. than I would like to admit. And especially given like the context at the time where there was just way Ball. better things you could be doing. Probably. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I always wanted that to be a thing and never was, but this seems a little bit more logical and reasonable and, and less all in more ancillary, which I really like. Yeah. Because the cards back then were, I'm a poison card or I'm not a poison card. Mm-hmm. Right. And now, again, if there is just a thing that has toxic kind of as a rider, you get to do that. This thing basically has proliferate as a cutesy way to give it a plus one instead of a zero and plays into kind of like the poison nature of everything. And you don't necessarily need to be focused on poison. Maybe there are some easier ways to proliferate because like even all those cards just felt like they're kind of like half a mana more expensive than you wanted them to be for constructed playability, like contagion clasp sort of stuff had its moments where if there's a lot of one toughness stuff, okay, maybe this is a thing that you can be doing, but still like four mana to activate was a pretty big ask, you know? And then, yeah, stuff like Venser was just like a little too bad. Contagion engine was a lot too bad, I think, but you were still able to like build those decks and try and live those dreams. And I think, it's probably more realistic to do it in this set than it was back then. And people still did it back then. Yeah. Thus far, it does seem that way. So something I will keep a close eye on for sure. Yeah. I think the best proliferate card was probably Tezzeret's Gambit, right? Or at least the one that saw the most play. I think that's correct. Yeah. There was some like sideboard. There were some sideboard contagion engines. I also remember contagion class becoming like in vogue for a period of time. I don't remember exactly in what deck. Uh, but yeah, there there wasn't a whole lot of constructed quality proliferating going on. Yeah, and Tesseract's Gambit was still four mana or three and two life, just like divination proliferate, which is still not even that good. No. Like that was the best one. That was all you had. So if you want to proliferate, that was basically what you had to do. And uh, I think we've basically already seen better options than that. So we, we might just be living in a world where it's doable. Fingers crossed. Yeah, because I know you want to. Mm, guilty. Yeah, I just, I just clicked sort by color. It didn't do anything. Come on. Okay, there we go. All right, so that was our officially previewed card. See ya. See ya, friends. Come back That's next it. week. We'll have another card for you. At least one. I yes. mean, I guess it's possible that they all overlap with the cards that we've already done. That would be awkward. Yeah, it would be. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. So last week we did the officially previewed cards. We did some initial cards that were previewed a while ago, and then we did lands and gold cards. Yes. Yep. So we have just the the normal monocolors and then some artifacts, Uh, but it is a decent amount of cards. So let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hit it. Starting with white. Kemba, Caw Enduring, 1-dub, 2-2, Legendary Creature, Cat Cleric. Whenever this or another cat enters the battlefield under your control, attach up to one target equipment you control to that creature. Equip creatures you control. Get plus one, plus one. 3-dub-dub, create a 2-2, White Cat Creature Token. I I just, like, clench up whenever I read equipment. Yeah, because same. It just keeps showing up, and it's it continues to, like, not be that great. But, like... This this ability is like two mana two two not great. Equipped creatures you control get plus one plus one is fine, but again, how many equipped creatures are you gonna get? But like the ETB, and especially since it's any cat, is pretty awesome, pretty powerful. But are there good equipments? Are there good cheap equipments? 
Yes, there are actually, which is weird because you feel like there should be a hole in this card because there's always a hole. But there are lizard blades, rabbit battery, like those cards. Yeah, they're legit good. They are good cards, and they, they have are. seen some play. So this card is enough where I would at least give that archetype a look. I'm probably coming back disappointed. I expect to come back disappointed, but I do think like something like Lizard Blades getting plus one one plus one one is obviously a big deal. These cats picking up any equipment at will feels nice. It's sort of like this value engine. Should you go into the late game where you you do have a mana sink, which is sort of one of the big problems, or just running out of things to put your stuff on is another big problem. Now, granted, this thing needs to survive, so the the problem is still embedded there, but. Yeah, this there's, is, there's this some is, decent ways to reanimate though too. Sure, like, especially cheap creatures. So this card is just enough to trick me again. That's exactly what it is. It is at least enough to get me to do a cursory scryfall search and see what we're working with. See if there's anything. Job. I think that's what's supposed to do. Yeah, you know, at least make you go down the well a little bit and do some experimentation and maybe you hear about a new equipment just got previewed, like your ears perk up or whatever. Maybe maybe it's Kemba's time. I don't know. Yeah, this is finally like a pretty solid implementation of equipment matters type of stuff. Which finally, thank you. Uh, <laughs> if you're if you're gonna put these in basically every set, at least you gotta make them interesting. Out of them. Yeah. So awesome. Uh, there's also the Nahiri we talked about last week that has yep. stuff to do with equipment. So. Uh, you know that there are cards in these sets that we have forgotten about and ignored that have equipment on them somewhere. You know, they have to do with equipment. So Lion yeah, maybe it's Sash fun. floating around out there. So Yeah. I mean, you're you're kind of like honing in on the same key thing, yeah. which is like <laughs> the equipment that are already creatures, which were already pretty solid. So that is fair, but you don't have to name every single one. You know? Fair enough. Fair enough. I, want, I want the new things. Like I understand that, like all nah, those things. I, I don't have those for you. Okay. Uh, next up, Norn's Wellspring, one dub artifact. Whenever a creature you control dies, scry one and put an oil counter on this. One tap, remove two oil counters from this. Draw a card. This is the type of nonsense I'm supposed to like. I don't think I do. No, this feels too fair to me. This feels like an like uncommon level of this effect. Actually, not rare yeah. This, level. this is a rare. Yeah. I don't know. I like I I get wanting you got to be safe with this type of effect. You push this too hard, you warp the format very dramatically. This works on all creatures, not non-token creatures. So that yep. is a big deal. There's a lot of ways to like sort of do loops and that kind of stuff. So I I think there's probably like some hidden stockpile-ish things you could get up to with this card. Um and of course there's proliferating and things like that that could happen. So mm. I, I need more support for this because this is a very on its face underpowered card. And that usually tells you that like there's probably a synergy going on here, or this was like the victim of development nerfs where it was just too scary to print as it was initially intended and needed to have things like say an extra cost uh, needed to have two oil counters instead of one, who knows, but uh, yeah, tap to, I, tap to activate. That's another good one. So enough to intrigue me. It's not really about this card. If this is good, it's about the other stuff supporting it. Yeah. Uh, this this is an artifact, which is both a pro and a con, but I think mostly a pro because there are artifact matters type of things, and that's mm -hmm. going to come up way more in your deck building than like, oh, this got blown up by a, a disenchant or whatever, or just like a strict artifact disenchant as opposed to if this were an enchantment or something. 
I think when people look at things like this, they see what is possible or like how the game would play out if you kind of like ley line started this in play. Yeah. And are not thinking about the fact that you have to spend two mana for this up front and it still doesn't even do anything immediately. So the problem that I tend to run into with cards like this is that, well, do you play like your creatures first? They get killed as they come out and then you play this thing and it just doesn't do anything. Or are you supposed to like skip turn two to play this thing to like play your stuff after it? That slows yeah. down your development, you know, like it. Yeah, if this thing like cost one, you could weave it in pretty easily. Maybe a different conversation. Uh, certainly if this costs zero and you could just like play this before you played any creature. Yeah, it'd be way more interested. But like two mana, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it really is. It is. It is. Uh, you know, something like the present of a doom traveler could do a lot to really juice this card up but I, I still think it needs more than that it needs multiple good pieces around it yeah and to be fair there are a lot of good pieces for sacrifice stuff most of that exists in Rakdos, but there could be some stuff lurking in white that we haven't really had a reason to go and look at and toy around with and yeah there's, I'm there's sure stuff in this set quite frankly we're gonna get some cards yeah. so yeah and you know, maybe maybe this is enough to get people to go dig in and do some brewing and stuff, and, and that's cool. But it's like it's not even that exciting to me, uh, based on the fairly prohibitive upfront cost and the amount of work that you have to do to even get any sort of return out of it. So I'm not super excited about it. Agree. All right, Skrelve, Defector Might, Dub One One Legendary Artifact Creature, Phyrexian Might, Toxic One. Uh, players dealt combat damage by this creature also get a poison counter. This thing can't block. Phyrexian white. So just a P, a single mana symbol. Tap. Choose a color. Another target creature you control gains toxic one and hexproof from that color until end of turn. It can't be blocked by creatures of that color this turn. This does a lot of stuff. Yeah, it does. Do you want any of it? I mean, it's it's like legendary hexproof given mother runes. Okay. That's, that's a good way of looking at it. It's like the the other stuff matters and it's clear that they want you to do stuff along those lines, but like just ignore all of that noise for a moment. Yeah, right? just make it Mother of Runes, sure. Right? Okay. And yeah, you think about it in that way. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that's not You just sold bad. me, man. Yeah, you sold, yep. I, I was very negative about this card and then I was like, oh, wait, wait a second, you are correct. So yeah, Like it enough. can't block. Sometimes you use Mother of Runes as just an infinite blocker against a Tarmogoyf or something. So, okay, you need something else, whatever. Uh, if I'm interested in playing Mother of Runes, probably won't be that hard to get another body, right? And this is effectively like tap to do Mother of Runes stuff. You do have to pay two lives. So again, it's like another way of like weakening that thing. But all of this is completely fine to me. Yeah. It's like Mother of Runes could have had that stuff and it would have been just as good. Right? I guess I, we do have to be a little ca careful with like the Mother of Runes comparison, just because you can't yeah, really it's... use this defensively. Like you can't block with this, which is no. That's what I'm saying. Is like, I mean, you can. Oh, okay, yeah, it's hexproof, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. No, so... you're right. Yeah, it can't be blocked. I was thinking of just in general. So, but yeah, it certainly right. shuts down removal spells. Oh. And if you think about like the the type of creatures we have present, so you like uh, screlve into any of the five or six cost white creatures you back up your uh shieldred which will end the game extremely quickly uh right? it's like can... how how hard is it to kill shieldred right yeah and then, like you start with this first 
uh, Rafine comes to mind. Like, there's just a lot of stuff where you like can curve into it, and now that thing stays around, and it's going to be tough for you to lose. Actually, so yeah, this is awesome with Rafine. Yeah, for a lot of different reasons. I, I don't know, man. I like this card a lot. You're right that it is basically only on use offensively, except for you know projecting from removal spells or whatever. But that's kind of what you want to be doing anyway. And I think that the people who played Mother of Runes super defensively were usually doing that in matchups where, like, as the game went on, the other player had inevitability anyway. So it's like, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Like, the, the people I was scared of were the ones that were using it to aggressively, like, get in ship shots against me, you know? And, like, actually being aggressive with it. Like, this is one of those things like Nazumi Cutthroat where it kind of, like, tricks you into playing correctly, I think. Hmm. That's very cool. Uh, also, too, like, not to focus on Rafine, but this ability gets better where you're, like, unlikely to deal with a very wide battlefield in whatever mode you're attacking. So, like, for instance, with flying creatures, like, there may be a couple colors of ground creature we can't actually force something through, but unlikely there's this whole army of multicolored flying blockers at the ready. Uh, I think this will be quite good at getting that chip shot through, so... I like this card a lot. Legendary, so uh, it, you know there there are legendary matters type of things, right? So that's cool. I don't know if you necessarily want to play four of these. I kind of do though, because like the Rafine decks really want a, an early creature, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think that is where I would start in a lot of instances. It's just like I'm just going to jam four of this thing and let's see. Interesting card. Yep. Well, yeah, it's like a lot of text, and you kind of like whittle it down and just like, you know, tap to give one of your things hexproof or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's hella good. Yeah. It's a lot of tricksy text. I think that kind of distracts you from the headline. Right. So I like it. Slam dunk. Uh, Scrub's hive, one dub enchantment beginning of your upkeep. You lose one life and create a one, one colorless Phyrexian might artifact creature token with toxic one in this camp block corrupted. As long as an opponent has three or more poison counters, creatures you control with toxic have lifelink. Gerald, I'm ready to be heard again. I, I, you know, I've yep. taken time off from this relationship. I've been through my fake bitter blossoms many, many times. And I just thought I was starting to get over them. And I was willing to just like take a look at them and be like, come on, we've done this. It's not bitter blossom. We don't have to worry about it. This, this is, is pretty good. This is not bitter blossom, but it it's, ah, it's, it's tricking me again. It really is. Like this seems quite, quite powerful. These are quasi two twos they can't play defense but they can gain you life and you don't have to jam them in you can just sit and accumulate and you know get to the point where you've just outdistanced your opponent you've created too much for them to answer to say nothing of the fact there's there like multiple pump effects in this format things like battle cry which is very very powerful when you have an army and a can like Skrillov's Hive, there's good life gain options. This into winning announcement. Yeah, man, I I think there's a lot of good synergies here. And like like I said, I feel like I'm ready to be hurt again by this card. Yeah, that is an excellent way to put it. I'm I'm in. It is it is definitely not Bitter Blossom, right? Bitter Blossom, two man enchantment, you lose a life made a fairy, and Bitter Blossom Flying, would slowly kill full you. defense. Right. Bitter Blossom would slowly kill you, but the fairy could block. So you're like force fielding something yeah. every turn. This cannot do that, but it kind of gets around that with the corrupted ability. And just like at some point, you're going to be able to attack with toxic life flinkers. And that's kind of cool because otherwise I think this thing 
kills you and you're making things that can't block, well, that that's pretty bad. You're going to die pretty quick in a lot of instances, I think. Look, at the very least, this is a sideboard option, right? Like at the very, very least, it's a it's a problematic thing for a lot of decks to answer. That's where I was going. Uh, think okay. about mono white humans in Pioneer against Rakdos that are sideboarding wedding announcement. I'm not saying that this is better, but it's like decks turn to that sort of thing to beat removal heavy decks. And wedding announcement is very good. It definitely gives you a bunch of stuff and a bunch of options for what kind of stuff you actually want to get. But it eventually ends. It becomes just an anthem, you know? Right. And I think this is more in line of what you want, where it's like, it's, it's cheaper. It, it continually pumps out bodies. And I think that is what you're in the market for more than wedding announcement in those instances. And then in standard where wedding announcement is already, uh, combine you know, them, tier, slap them together. Tier one card. Yeah. It works super well together. Like we got a deck going on, you know, I think so. I'm, I'm interested at least. Awesome. I don't know who the hell Skrelv is, but they they're they're great. Well, Skrelv is the actual might. No, I know. I, I see that. You know who they are. They're that they're that thing right there. I I know that they're depicted on the card and they have these two cards. I've just literally never heard of them until today. Well, that's fair. I also have not. But now I'm intimately familiar with them. And uh, they're this weird little might that likes to eat hands. I know that they have cards that I'm excited about, but I don't know anything about them. I'm sure. Like I'm sure we'll now. learn. I'm sure we'll learn eventually. Maybe. Eternal Wanderer, four dub dub, legendary planeswalker, five starting loyalty. This one's rare, so it has uh static instead of the corrupted thing. The static is no more than one creature can attack the Eternal Wanderer each combat. Plus one. Exile up to one target artifact or creature, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of that player's next end step. Zero. Create a two-two white samurai creature token with double strike. Minus four for each player. Choose a creature that player controls. Each player sacrifices all creatures they control not chosen this way. Yeah, same kind of deal. It's like powerful pseudo alt, but you can use it right away. But I'm not super excited about any of this stuff, really. No, it's weird. Like, I want to be excited about the minus four, but I just... It's really hard to envision when that actually gets you ahead. Like, you did that, and then you lose your eternal wanderer if you had a removal spell that's interesting but now we're talking seven mana and i just think you could do a lot more with seven mana and really the best scenario for this is probably just like fairly cluttered boards where you are in a mid-range type battle uh, and it's really challenging to attack the eternal wanderer for your opponent because you're kind of stalemated and you're able to just grind out these two two double strike creatures but like if you're paying six, it just feels like you're supposed to be able to get further ahead than that. It's interesting that, you know, the, the static is pseudo protection for this thing, right? Yeah. Uh, so ver- very I, I, pseudo. I, yeah. Very pseudo. But I'm, I'm, so I'm not like super upset about, you know, like only five loyalty or like the make it a two, two is zero or whatever. I think that it's like this thing is going to be pretty reasonably well protected. And then I don't know. I just like reread the minus four, and you're choosing yeah. creatures for each player. So Absolutely. That, I don't know. Actually, that's not bad. That's not bad. It's better. It's better. Like I mean, you keep their best, they keep their worst, right? Right. And we've seen I, that effect before, and we've seen it be very good for sure. Yeah, and I was I was kind of operating under the assumption that it's like each player chooses a thing. Uh, but it's not. Mm. No, no, I, I had read this the right way. And I, yeah. 
I, it still just doesn't feel like you're pulling all that far ahead. Like given how these decks play, the fact that nobody ever runs out of cards, like back in the day, for sure, I'm all about this effect. But when everyone just is like handful of gas, go right back at it. I don't know that this actually breaks any games. And when you get to the six matter threshold, you have to break games open, I think. I think this kind of does, though, because when you're talking about both players not really running out of gas, what the situations where you're losing are when the other player is just like ahead on board, right? Like they've been able to like curve out a little bit more efficiently, maybe get some efficient trades. Maybe you stumbled a little bit or like, you know, missed your three or four drop or something like this is a thing that does have a big impact on the game. Yes, what you're talking about where you minus four, they kill your thing, and then whatever they have left over, they use to kill your Wanderer. Sure, that makes sense. But in a scenario where that doesn't immediately happen, presumably they can't attack through your your best creature that you had. Presumably. This thing, and then you get to like untab with this thing. And, you know, like I, you can see how you could start pulling back ahead in a game that you were behind, right? Does this do that any better than any of the multitudinous six mana options or five mana options that are present in white right now. I, I, they're all just like a blur of giant white creatures to me. I don't even remember their names, but well, if, yeah, if you're talking about playing sanctuary warden or something along those lines, yes, that is good. Uh, you can play farewell for just like the clear, the clean board wipe, which I think is fine, but I kind of like the upside this has where there are certainly going to be game states where warden doesn't allow you to come back from right like mm-hmm. it's, it's certainly possible that they're more far ahead than a warden can deal with and this is this actually kind of like lines up pretty cleanly where it's like kind of no matter what your opponent has going on you have big thing they get small thing if they don't immediately kill wanderer on the next turn you know you start making samurais or like getting blink card advantage stuff i think that that beats more game states than just like playing a big six mana monster would yeah, I, I guess at the very least, it's another it's another option to add into that suite, right? And we talk a lot yeah. about like wanting to have those options. There'll be meta games where this is the right call. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, I, I shouldn't try and paint it like I'm a hater on this card. I, I think it's like a fine card. I just don't think it's a format definer, which is totally fine for a rare. That's probably no. what you should aim for. Yes, and the, the way I'm looking at it is potential stalemate breaker in mid-range mirrors or potentially a way to come back and then also start pulling ahead versus like, oh, I just swept the board and, you know, you reload, now I have to match you. Right, but and actually move forward in any way. Yeah, whereas this is like, oh, maybe it sweeps your board and then also I get to use it to pull ahead, right? It's it's basically like you're doubling up on the six mana, right? Sure. Because you get to do the sweepy thing and have this thing that, that helps you. So I see the upside and I have been intimately involved in mid-range mirrors right uh, just think about like green white tokens or whatever yep, yep and yep. uh tragic arrogance was similar ish similar ish but you know mana cheaper did some stuff that was a lot better than what this is doing too so it, it's not like a fair comparison but it's like i've used the effects like that to be able to you know make sure that i have ways to come back in games that even I'm losing, you know, it's not like, Oh, mm-hmm. you start ahead, you stay ahead in like all the games. And that's how you plan on winning the matchup. It's like, no, some games like you're just behind, like you need a catch up mechanism. Right. And this is not the best version of this that we've seen and is only applicable in small ish instances. Mm-hmm. Right. But like those effects are important to have. 
Uh, and yeah, I guess this is better than I thought on first read. That's it. But it's not like, oh yeah, this is awesome. Definitely going to see play, whatever. It's just like, no, actually, I, I do see the upside of this. So cool. Nice. All right. White Sun Twilight. X dub dub sorcery. You gain X life. Create X one one colorless Phyrexian might artifact creature tokens with toxic one and this creature can't block. If X is five or more, destroy all other creatures. So seven mana, you get like the martial coup thing going on. Yeah. Some life. Yeah. And that was that was a big time card. I think the biggest difference here is that these creatures can't block. Whereas if I recall correctly, the martial coup ones could block. Oh, they and- very much could. Yeah. yeah, that was a huge portion, portion of the appeal there. Like, this is supposed to be, I do this and then I end the game. I don't, I don't know how often that's going to work out. I mean, certainly, like, scenarios where you just, like, tend this feel re- very nice. And, you know, maybe there's just, like, a massive mana deck where you're just supposed to play towards those huge, huge, huge end states. It would make sense given the shape of, like, white mid-range mirrors, like you mentioned, just, like, Here's your one card. Okay, I did this thing. If you don't have an answer, I just win the game. That's that's nice. That's a nice thing to have up your arsenal, even if it's just like, um, you know, a one of, and you're just playing towards that type of end game. I, I think you could see a bit of spot play here. But again, I don't think this is like a format defining Marshall Coup type card. No, part of the appeal in Marshall Coup was that it had modality, which this kind of doesn't really have because you can't play it defensively for less than seven unless you're just like, I really need to gain three life or whatever. And sometimes it was like a Marshall coup for three. God, that's annoying. And it just like gives them the two turns that they need to Mm -hmm. untap with planeswalkers and get up to more shenanigans and stuff. And this is just like, I do the thing at seven mostly. And that's kind of about it. So unfortunately, maybe not going to get there, but yeah, another tool for the arsenal at the very least. Marshall coup, not a card I've thought about in a very long time. Me either. It was not really my style of blue white. You know what I mean? No, I have no idea what you mean. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, do, but you just don't understand why I would possibly. I can't imagine. I can't imagine this. Yeah, just like tap out, super slow. You know, just lose to a spell pierce cast against me at any point in any game. Not Perfect really what way I was to live your life, in my opinion. All right, uh, on to the blue cards. Is this an actual it's equipment? One card? Yeah, no, it looks like a one card. I was just looking at like the keyword thing. Uh, okay, so this Blade of Shared Souls to you, artifact equipment. Keyword or Mirrodin exclamation point, uh, which we had just not seen before. So I was like, oh, I didn't even know this was a thing. When this equipment enters the battlefield, create a 2-2 red rebel creature token, then attach this to it. Whenever... Uh, this becomes attached to a creature for as long as this remains attached to it. You may have that creature become a copy of another target creature you control equipped for two. So for two you, assuming all these triggers go off and your thing doesn't get shocked or whatever, you get to clone your own thing? like, And then you have this equipment lying around? I don't know. That's not bad. That's That's probably really good. That's one of the better clones we've seen like you usually pay four for a clone and maybe there have been some exceptions to that recently. There were uh, some three mana clone my own stuff. I mean, that that's what the DFC did, right? Yeah. And yeah. Yep. The ca- quasi cast land that, cast that a reasonable amount of the time. And certainly as a good. DFC, you were pretty happy to have that as an option. You know, yeah. like that was, that was getting consideration a lot of the time. Do you know where this card actually quickly stands out to me is in something like storm, the festival where, you you have a way to just like storm the festival is all about just doing that snowballing type thing and you want 
uh, effects that sort of compound on each other. And Blade of Shared Souls can very much do that and leave something behind. It not only makes this clone, but it leads something that makes your next salvo all that more effective. And you... Four you know, pieces you, of cardboard. Yeah, you hit whatever your six is and then make two of them. And that's probably going to be good enough in a lot of scenarios. And one of the things that I look for in those decks is a thing that you can play early for curve considerations that Absolutely. also scales pretty well, right? So it's like... If you're playing some mopey three-drop creature just because it attacks or blocks well or whatever, and then you hit this off a of storm the festival, you're kind of disappointed. But if you hit a blade of shared souls, uh, I mean, it's entirely possible that you just have no creatures in play, right? And maybe this kind of stinks. But there are definitely like some big upside situations where it's like, well, now this is kind of coming in as like a five mana creature, and you just have the equipment to move it around and like do weird stuff later, right? So. This, this has a lot of upside, actually. Now, it, it is worth noting, and I, this is a really big knock against this card, that you will not get ETB triggers off this, right? Because Correct. it just becomes yeah. a copy. So that that's a you know big downside, for sure. But I think where you get that modality, you get just these raw bodies. And, you know, there's a lot of really good abilities out there that aren't just ETBs that you can benefit from. So maybe you have to build your deck a little bit differently. But I do see... Uh, a pretty niche application for this card, but an application nonetheless. Man, I was thinking just upgrade your small things into like five fives. Into big things, yeah. And that's good enough a lot of the time. Yeah. If you're so, doing like mana dorks or, or whatever, then yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't hate this at all. This seems completely fine to me. Maybe it's a thing that you play in small numbers or whatever, but this is cool. Like another mana sync type of thing that's perfectly reasonable. Yep. Uh did we do Blue Sun's yes. Twilight? Yep. We, talked, one, right? we talked about that. One of the first cards we talked about, yeah. That's what I thought. But I never know these days, man. My brain is mush. I got your back. Uh, Mercurial Spell Dancer. 1U, 2-1. Creature, Phyrexian, Rogue. This can't be blocked. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put an oil counter on this. Whenever this deals combat damage to a player, you may remove two oil counters from it. If you do, when you cast your next instant or sorcery spell... This turn, copy that spell. You may choose new targets. There's a lot of like if thens for uh, I don't know, pretty simple application. I don't know. I could see a lot of output coming from this card. Like it is very, very fragile. Um, yeah. Theoretically, like straight up, can't block is not bad. Is always going to hit. Yeah, that's that's pretty threatening. You know, you should accumulate those oil counters fairly quickly in a lot of scenarios, and I don't think you really need. To do anything massive here, like doubling a removal spell for your two drop, two drop unblockable creature, could really awesome. be some good tempo. It, uh, I'm about to make a really wild comparison. Maybe, maybe you can think of the comparison I'm about to make. Do you know what card I want to compare this to? Pretty badly, another two drop. I'll give you that hint. Yeah, I, I want to say something silly, like thing in the ice. Like I don't really know how that would actually compare or whatever, but. Probably sees play in like a, a similar type of deck. You know what I mean? Dreadhorde Arcanist was the card I was going to mention. And like, I, I do think this is yeah, worse. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. But like there are setups where you're just doing your thing. You're getting in there and then you copy your brainstorm or you double lightning bolt. And uh, again, I, yeah, I don't know if I'm saying this is a legacy playable card, but that doesn't seem that far off to me. Like what it's weird when you get these type of effects, like, one of the cards that I was hype on way before everyone else, and I look back to it, 
and it seems like kind of obvious in retrospect, was Flip Walker, Jace. And that was not a card, if you remember, at launch that people were all that high on. There's a lot of folks who were willing to pass on that card. Preaching to the choir, man. Yeah. And and majors were just like, this card is awesome. And people were just like, ah, it's a merfolk looter or whatever. And it's like, okay, whatever. It it certainly was not. That proved to be true. But do you know where I was most excited for it actually immediately was in Legacy and actually Vintage, where I'm like, I think this card is going to be really good in those spots. And this has some of the same things going on where, you know, it's a little bit more removal like format in a lot of instances. And the things you copy can just be game breaking. Like what if you, you know, cast Time Walk after you (laughs) trigger your Mercurial Spell Dancer? That sounds pretty good to me. Uh, But, you know, I mentioned the Legacy cards, things like Brainstorm, things like Lightning Bolt, all those very powerful effects. I, I sort of believe this card has some legs in older formats. And uh, I believe you, know, you. I yeah. believe you. The, the thing about stuff like this, too, like these two drop creatures that, you know, can create card advantage, snowball, whatever. It's a pretty big upside to just be blue in general, too. Yeah, with absolutely. Whatnot. Force of will back up, there's yeah. some downsides. It's like well, now their power blast kills your threat, blah, 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 or whatever. But. There if are, you get your two drop pyroblasted though, like you've come out ahead and uh, like not ahead, you but you get what I'm saying. Like pyroblast is such like, an no, efficient spell. No, you're literally behind. <laughs> you spent yeah, two yeah. mana for their one, mana. but yeah, I know what you mean. It's like you you spent a premium sideboard card to kill yes. just your a thing drop. that I have like twelve of. Right? It's not really a big deal. Yeah this this thing seems pretty good to me. Starting at zero and then needing two counters, it's like well, that's that's sort of a lot. But you have the, you know, cast trigger, and that's going to happen if yep. you like play a spell to remove two counters, right? Like you're going to get brainstorm force well, brainstorm force well. There, I did it. Like we're we're good to go. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, whenever you're removing two counters, you're also getting you one, get back. one back. So exactly. Ask you for two on the initial buy-in, but then it's only one. Effectively, you only mm-hmm. need to like add a spell or connect with this once or whatever. Or I, I mean, I guess this is. Connecting doesn't actually add a counter, right? It is just the spells. Just the spells. Okay. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So this this seems completely fine to me. Uh yeah, similar to Arcanist. I it's it's been like banned, you know, so I just don't yeah. even think about it anymore. I just forgot it was a card. But yeah, this this is fairly similar, but yeah, certainly it seems pretty reasonable to me. And there I'm gonna, were I'm gonna make st- you make a really hard call right now. Hold on. There there were already standard decks that were approaching where I would want to play this card, things like uh, Third Path Iconoclast, right? Yep, yep. Kind of asking you to do similar things, put similar cards in your deck, and it's like, well, now I have eight of these things, and you have good, cheap removal, reasonable cantrips, counterspells, etc. Like, yeah, this is going to be a thing I'll try. All right, give me, the, give me the test. Give me, make me, make my bold prediction or whatever. This versus Ledger Shredder. What sees more play three months from now? Are you talking about combined between all formats? All formats. I think Shredder is still better in modern. That's the problem. Okay. But if your question was just going to be like, is this going to make a premier legacy top eight? I'd be like, yeah, sure. I think so. I I, I would be itching to play this card in legacy. Uh, And one of the things I was really good at legacy is like kind of getting the cards before everyone else figured out they were really good. And I don't, I don't, there's no like science to it. It's just like what lets me do more broken stuff than my opponent. And it, it it's very clear that this could potentially let you do that. So 
Yeah, I also think that you were more open to experimentation and more willing to see like upsides of things where I think most people tend to gravitate towards what is the downside of this and therefore every magic card is bad and unplayable. And then, you know, everyone who is smart enough to show up with Delver week one and their deck is built reasonably, it's like after that week, everyone is like, oh yeah, obviously, you know, Delver is busted or whatever. I always said Delver was busted, yeah. Yeah, uh, I didn't because I was trained to like mostly think in the context of standard, right? Mm-hmm. And granted, I was still wrong about that. Uh, but it was just like, given how like most standard formats have been, it's like, what am I going to play like an eight cantrip 20 land deck? That'll never be successful. But like, that's what it would take to make this thing good. And it was like, yeah, actually. Yeah. You should, you should do that. Yeah. Okay. Good call. So this, this could succeed in standard, maybe reasonable with things like Rafine, but Rafine wants like more creatures. Like Esper is just very creature heavy these days in general. So not a lot of spells, but like maybe there is some sort of blue red deck that doesn't exist yet. That could now become successful because they have the redundancy in the the two mana slot. So yeah, this this plus iconoclast, hell of a combo for sure. Dude, I like this set, man. We're not even like two thirds of the way through the colors. I agree. I, I am very impressed overall by this set. Like uh, across all formats, too. Really, really good stuff. Yeah. Mind Splice Apparatus. 3U Artifact Flash. At the beginning of your upkeep, put an oil counter on this. Instant and sorcery spells you ca- you cast cost one less. For each oil counter on this, hmm. what sort of big instants and sorceries do we want to cast for cost reduction that would make doing this worth it? And also, does our deck work if we don't have this? Probably not. That's probably the biggest problem with this card. That is, if, if you're going to build around it, then the rest of your stuff is not going to function without this card. But... I will say this is like very good as far as these type of build arounds go. I think like having flash on this helps. It's intriguing. And then like, man, I have to ask the question in a lot of scenarios in like modern, especially after sideboarding, isn't this just better than something like goblin electromancer in terms of like storm decks? I mean, if, if you get to play five turns, like, wouldn't you rather do it with Mindsplace Apparatus rather than Electromancer? Because Electromancer is like, well, cast Manamorphose and Desperate Ritual off of me. You don't need your things to cost two less unless you're doing like really weird, expensive gift piles. You know? Well, I, I don't I don't want them to cost two less. I just want the flexibility of my thing having flash so my opponent never knows when it's coming and it not being a creature that just dies to absolutely everything. That's fair, but oftentimes in a lot of those matchups, you can like side out one of the brawls or whatever because you just don't need that many of them. You know, it's like you only need one to stick and the game's going to go long and drawing multiples of them can be bad sometimes depending on the matchup. So oftentimes it's like you shave medallions and also this isn't like that big of a gotcha thing because if you're passing with four mana open, they already have gifts on their mind as a thing that they need to respect. Like, Oh, if I tap out, they can that is flash fair. The thing that's threatening. So that is fair. It adds to the redundancy of it where it's like, well, you get to flash or, you know, instant speed, whatever the least important thing is on their turn, draw it a counter spell untap, maybe resolve the other one. Whereas if you just have three or four gifts in your deck, Maybe you don't have enough impactful things to take advantage of that, but uh, in the, it, dude, in the case of modern, modern is a powerful format. Storm is not even close to tier one, and this is no. like not a thing that actually improves matchups or whatever. So it's like 
yeah, maybe it's a thing that you do at some point, but right now it's like it's not helping them. Yeah, I don't think it revitalizes the archetype or anything. I just think it is an option I would explore if I was like a storm person who's like, one day this deck is coming back and I'm only going to play this until that point. This might get you some points in a few matchups. It, it, I also wonder what else can do, though. I do think there's some potential here. It's just like, man, maybe, it's, maybe it isn't right for modern. Maybe it's more of a pioneer card where you look to leverage it there. I mean, honestly, this looks like it was just built for commander, but the weirdo... Uh, commander stuff sometimes makes sideways decks in standard. You know, another card I think was built for commander wilderness reclamation. Exactly. Yes. Good example. Good example. Next card. Yeah. Boy, do I read this one wrong at first class. All right. First class. Grand Metatech. I haven't read it yet. I think I read the first line. One UU two, four legendary artifact creature, Phyrexian Vidalkin. Other blue creatures you have, whenever this creature becomes tapped, draw a card, then discard a card. Other artifact creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Phyrexian U, just one mana symbol, and it's both, you know, the Phyrexian blue thing. Until end of turn, target creature you control becomes a blue artifact creature in addition to its other colors and types. Activate only as a sorcery. Activate only as a sorcery. Okay, that's big. Um, Mm, Yeah. What did you misread? Uh, I thought it was... Uncut Grand Metatect. Nice. I was going to refer to him as Uncut Hunk, but I guess that's not not going to be his nickname uh, okay. for anyone who can actually read. This is not that bad. Three mana, two, four, reasonable. So you don't want to talk about the Uncut Hunk anymore. You're just moving on from that pretty quickly. Three mana, two, four, uh, not yep. terrible. Uh, legendary, both pro and con. Things like Grand Architect or whatever. It's just like... Stacking these things is pretty good, right? Stacking anthems is not that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do that here, but like other other blue creatures you control have, whenever this becomes tapped, draw a card, then discard a card. That's like no mana activation. There are things like Moon Snare prototype to do this. Maybe there's some stuff that will give you value from from looting, like things that you want in your graveyard or whatever. It's like I I like that ability. I don't know if there's a lot of stuff to do with it yet. And then the the bottom ability is is fine. It's whatever. But I don't know. This has a lot going on for it. Feels like it either breaks or doesn't, right? And for our boy Uncut, it's going to be a a very big binary. If there is something that interacts with this ability very favorably or creates some type of loop, which I totally buy. I totally buy that as something that could exist. Then this card seems like it's very powerful as just like a card that does what it says on its face. Eh, I don't have a whole lot of interest in it. I mean, maybe there's like some aggressive artifact build that this thing can really power up, but I am, I am skeptical. I am too, but the dream is there, you know, like enough of this text is appealing that I feel like it's non-zero that it could get there. So again, it's going to send me down the well. I'm going to do some scryfall searches. I'm going to figure it out. That's what these things are supposed to do. And speaking of going down the well, Gerald, we did uh, like 10 cards and we've done an hour and 10 minutes. And I think like we came into the show with the idea that we probably do all this stuff, but this set just keeps giving us more and more to talk about. Maybe we just keep stretching it out. Maybe we just keep doing more and more shows for this sex. I am having a blast talking about this and I don't want to cut, like I don't want to skip anything. I want to keep talking through all these interesting cards and, uh, you know, There's exploring only the possibilities four black of cards. There's Only four black cards. If you want to try and get through black, but if you're getting sleepy, I understand. Give me a black card. Let's do it. Just one or are we doing all four? Let's do them. Come on, all four. 
All right, Archfiend of the Dross, 2BB, 6-6, creature, Phyrexian Demon, flying. This enters the battlefield with four oil counters on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, remove an oil counter from this. Then if it has no oil counters on Whoa. it, you lose the game. <laughs> that that escalated quickly. Whenever a... Yeah, at first I was like, four oil counters, that's a lot. All these other things start with four, and it's like, oh, it's a downside thing. Uh, whenever a creature and opponent control dies, its controller loses two life. This card rules. Yeah, this is just good. Like, I, I don't care that it says you lose the game. Like, your opponent has lost the game if they didn't kill this thing. Like, how right. are they surviving in that scenario? There's no yeah, possible I did, I did, way. I did the math. I did the math. And yes. Like, you're, you're good. Yeah. Uh, in case you thought you were not good, whenever a creature and opponent control dies, its controller loses two life. You're good. I mean, maybe you got to prolifer proliferate once or something, but I... This just seems like something that should see some play to me. And we've seen effects like this before. The four mana, six, six flyer with huge downside. And they've usually been good enough. And this isn't a downside. Yeah, there's like there's a there's a pinch of downside here. Like I, I could see how this could go wrong, right? There are some yeah, scenarios. They flyers, they jump block. Like this doesn't have evasion, right? And a lot of right. those other things that trample and stuff. But uh, build your deck in such a way that you're counting on that. Like kill this thing if you have to, bounce it, whatever you have to do to get the value of a four mana six six flyer with upside. I think you do it because this card yeah, seems dude, very good. Desecration Demon standalone was like pretty powerful because again, it was hard to kill. Six toughness is a lot. And this does fail the test of like, does it immediately impact the battlefield or whatever? But it's really big. Huge, huge. And Abyssal Persecutor, another card cut from the same mold. That's that's where I was going. It was like Abyssal Persecutor that had trample, but you literally had to kill it on your own. And back then, you know how hard that was? It was. You know what kind of like garbage we had to play? Like there was not a good like village rights, deadly dispute, anything. Like it was not even, it was literally like I have to go for the throat or jace my own thing. Yep. I've used like my premium card to remove my thing. But it was good enough in a lot of spots. It was. And now if you build a deck that maybe it's not like full control with Archfiend or whatever, but if you are any sort of like black creature, either mid-range or aggressive deck or whatever, there are going to be incidental ways to just like sacrifice or kill your own stuff for value. And yep. it's going to feel like upside. So in the, in the rare instance where I think you are losing to this ability, it's going to be comically easy to get rid of it. If you want to include those effects in your deck, because you feel like it's non-zero going to happen, you know? So I, dude, I'm just not even worried. I agree with you, Gerald. How about a card that could both kill this and bring it back to life? Would that be something that would interest you? I don't know. Okay, so Black Sun's Twilight XB instant. Can't tell. There's a thumb. It's it's um, an instant. Up to one <laughs> target creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn. If X is five or more, return a creature with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. It's good. Can't can't good. play a lot. Can't play a lot of them. Instant speed reanimation is fucked up. Huh? It really, is. instant speed reanimation is fucked up. And in compare in conjunction with removal, this card That's could just. Removal blow some people out like think about you're attacking into your opponents how do you ever attack into open mana when this is a threat oh, because they just this, like this is worse than beast attack yeah you just get absolutely hosed like kill your thing bring back my arch fiend of the dross well GG. it's tapped it is tapped to be okay fair, fair enough fair enough that's true so they did do that they're like oh we do want to make this smart, an instant smart but... i gotta i gotta head myself a little bit i'll admit it yeah no it's all right dude we each get one per cast yeah so I this, is, this is good. I think it's worse though in that scenario. Yeah, this is this is a very good, very clean two for one 
scaling late as actual just reanimation i think it's not going to be uh, as efficient right because it's like scaling off mana value and i think for the most part you're spending five to reanimate a seven drop or whatever because otherwise why would you jump through the hoops but just like bx minus x minus x like that that effect is not that good i really don't want to like draw two of these over the course of a game i think that you can play this as a thing that scales pretty well but it would be in low numbers i like a one of for sure oh yeah dude fun of let's go all right uh geth thane of contracts one bb legendary creature phyrexian zombie three four other creatures you control get minus one minus one awesome uh, 1BB, tap, return, target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains if this creature would leave the battlefield, exile instead of putting it anywhere else. Activate only as a sorcerer. Hmm. 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 Well, last week we talked about one of the best reanimation targets potentially we had seen in quite a while. This card does not play well uh, with our is oh, it yeah, friend whose names I forget. The, the seven drop, is it creature that makes one ones? Yeah. Yep. 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 They played Not around it. combo there. Uh, probably but, smart. Well, I mean, we could find other stuff, you know. Uh, we could. This, we could. This, this minus one, minus one thing is really bad for you in, in normal decks, but I think you can build around it, right? Like, what if you're playing black midrange and it's just like, all right, I have like this and shield drids and like some arch fiends or whatever. It's like the minus one, minus one thing is not that big of a deal. And... The reanimate thing, if you get to untap with it, is really good. The question is, like, how often is that actually going to happen? Uh, and how often does it matter, you know? Um, but if if you get this card going, obviously, it's, it's really powerful. But I have to build around it, too. So it's asking a lot. Yeah, the sizing is good. It being a 3-4 for 3 mana is, like, pretty yeah. nice. You get good blocks. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't know if it's just because it's next to it on this page, but I'm thinking, like, mono black curving this into either Phyrexian Obliterator or Shoulder, it seems very very good then the removal spells that would like get thrown at those creatures are kind of useless at that point like they have to go after geth first so very much lightning rod ish in its impact but definitely i i don't know i am a little skeptical about this card actually making any dent in the existing metagame i think you're just better off playing a generically good creature most times than worrying about getting up to geth shenanigans evolve sleeper is really good yeah, uh, you know, if you're like, ah, uh, you should only like play this or evolve sleeper or whatever. It's like, dude, I'm choosing sleeper. Sleeper's awesome. You can certainly play Geth with underdog, but it definitely removes a lot of the efficacy from the underdog. You know, mm -hmm. so I'm not super excited about it. If the black cards were worse, then then maybe yeah. you could get me to buy into this a little bit. But it's like we have such good options at like one and two mana that there's no way. I'm just going to note that very occasionally there is benefit to your creatures having minus one, minus one. Like there have been some combos and loops that have utilized that before. Okay. I don't think there's anything like that now, uh, but you know, something to keep an eye on. Have we talked about Karumonix, the Rat King? I don't think we have. No, this doesn't look familiar to me. All right. One BB, legendary creature, Phyrexian Rat, three, three, Toxic One, other rats you control have Toxic One. When this enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal any number of rats from among them and put the revealed cards into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Does this count as collected company to you or does it not matter because it's rat tribal? It's rat tribal. But if there were like 24 constructed playable rats, 
this card's probably really good, honestly. Like that's a powerful effect, you know, if I'm popping off with pack rats and what are what are other famous rats? That's the only one I got right now. Famous rats, relentless rats. That was a standard deck. Yeah, yeah, but those aren't, or, those aren't uh good. not relentless rats, sorry, chittering rats. That's the that's the tight one. Yeah. I like rotting rats myself. Played that at a pro tour. Uh, I've played that in way too many decks in way too many tournaments. Yep. And it's not rotting rats' fault, but those tournaments never went well. Rotting rats, perfectly fine, excellent, reasonable magic card. Meh. I don't know if I would go that far despite having played it a bunch, but uh, yeah. Uh, rest of the stuff is Phyrexian Arena reprint. So. Uh, there's like the stronghold arena thing that I liked a decent amount. Now they're just like, yeah, we'll just give you actual arena, whatever. Yeah, I sort of don't believe that card is good good enough anymore. Honestly, like, yeah, I know, man, it doesn't know. stand out to me. Uh, so you know, I'm happy to see it. One of a card I really liked, but I'm skeptical. I don't think this does anything. I mean, people were initially super hyped about arena, and then they're like, oh, this is actually slow as hell. Yeah. You know? But then it had its moment where it was like, oh, okay, this is finally the time when it is actually good. And basically every time since then, you just get hit with the wall of like, oh, yeah, this is really slow. Like you get reminded of how unimpactful this is until four turns later or something where you actually start to see like an actual advantage. So how much how much magic has changed since Phyrexian Arena was a dominant card? Yeah. So things have not gotten better for it. That is nope. certainly true. If if you want this sort of effect, well, you can probably find better options. But if you really, really want it, it's here. Cool. Yeah. Format would have to look very different. Although I'll say there's like, you know, a few cards I've mentioned as theoretical control finishers that aren't really looking to challenge your life total at all. Maybe, you know, if there is that Vraska deck that's only about Vraska, eh, maybe you can get away with something like Phyrexian Arena. Dude, it's not even about your life total being... Just about the uh, slow, slow, slow payoff. No, so you you play this, you untap with it, it's neutral. To have gotten like, an actual advantage off of it, that takes another turn, but like that is a very, very bad, slow divination Tezzeret's Gambit that still didn't even proliferate you, you know? Yep. So I really you do think this yourself like, for, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's like turn three, it's like, okay, well now I'm just up a bunch of cards. Can I convert this into anything? And then from there on out, you should have like a bunch of resources, right? But it, two, three turns is a lot. Yeah. And, and it was good because other cards didn't do a lot of damage. You had more time, games went longer, and that just isn't true anymore. And getting card advantage was hard. It's not hard anymore. Right. There are just right. better ways to do it. And it's not like, oh, I really lean on my one Phyrexian Arena. Like, this is my one thing that gives card advantage. It's just like, no, you're getting it from like your underdog and from. Uh, every know, card in your deck, you drop is your drop. Yeah, they all pay you. So, like, what do you need this thing for? Good question. Just play a thing that kills your opponent and also pays you, and you're going to be profiting in two different directions. So, do that. Good advice. Cool. All right. Uh, that's the Esper cards. Yeah, this is gonna hopefully go up on Tuesday, I guess, so that at least we get this out there before the official previews happen so this isn't like completely old hat that you're listening to this but like already excited about the new cards that got previewed and we're not talking about but uh maybe we end up slightly behind i don't know well i guess we are going to be behind because there's like the rest of the cards from this but it'll be fine you know we get to stretch this out over a decent amount and maybe you don't need to hear us talk about the cards 
as they released like on that day specifically like there is always like a two-day lag or whatever whenever we record to like getting it posted so yep maybe, maybe we'll be fine maybe i'm worried about nothing yeah I, I do feel if you are still listening to us uh you probably would prefer to hear about more cards rather than the most possible like the timeliest cards we could talk about i think right. is is my instinct but yeah i think we'll so see. too we'll see how people like it and and that's cool uh th- this is an opportunity or kind of rare opportunity in recent times where we actually do get to talk about a lot of cards because of the leaks. And I don't know, I, I guess in case folks were not aware, leaks are bad. Leaks are bad. But I'm enjoying them quite a bit. Dude, I know, but like, come on. Don't, don't say it like that. Right. I'm not enjoying them. Leaks bad. Leaks bad. Leaks bad. But, I'm just yeah. happy we have time to talk about stuff. It's been so hard. Like, it, honestly, it's impacting my excitement for the set a lot in a favorable way. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I my assumption is, and this is based on I don't know, like the last two sets or whatever, where we basically only have like a week to talk about all the cards. Is that stretching this out gives you like more time to like breathe it in, talk about more things, and like come you know, think about things and come to like more and better conclusions. And that certainly leads to me being more excited about the set. And I, I assume that that would be the case in basically all instances. I could, I could very easily be wrong about that. And I'm sure that there is a exception case or whatever, but this is awesome. I miss this. I miss having a couple weeks to actually talk about stuff. The biggest know? exception is that when you have a set coming out next week too, I think <laughs> that's when you're just like, well, I don't have time for this shit. We got to yeah. move on to the next one. Yeah, but it's not coming out this week. The next set will come out the week after. So we'll have some time. Right. All right, man. Get back to work. Or like go to sleep, then get back to work. Uh, yeah, a little nap. Then I'll be up bright and early, walking down to the office to design more flesh and blood cards for you, for your monsters to enjoy. Game. Good luck.